I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. The car thumps to a slow halt. I lift my head slowly. My dark brown hair is limp and greasy. My mouth is like sandpaper. I feel it coming on like a dream you can't wake up from. It dawns on me that we have no clue where we are. I glance at Dylan in the front seat. Ryan and him are poring over a crinkled, worn roadmap. You should be up here doing this, he remarks. I don't have the strength left to argue. Any sudden movements, and I'll end up vomiting all over the door. Welcome to the Doherty Gang, a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. Episode 3, You Let the Fish Out of the Pond. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a crime producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker. We've been working with producer Beth Greenwald on the Doherty Gang for months now. The three siblings have agreed to tell their story for the very first time, each from separate prisons. Lee Grace Dougherty is at Federal Correction Institute, Aliceville in Alabama. Ryan is in United States Penitentiary, Tucson in Arizona. And Dylan is at the Federal Corrections Institute in Bennettsville in South Carolina. This call is from a federal prison. I just naturally have a heavy foot anyways, but I, I was going a little faster than what the feeling it was. I might have been doing like 40 or 41 and like a 35. And the cop was just sitting there waiting for morning speeders and... He just pulled out behind us. I mean, he didn't know it had anything to do with us or 
anything like that. For him, it was just a routine traffic stop that went kind of sideways. We were only in the car about 20 minutes. We had just come from the gas station, and that's when everything began. As soon as the cops got behind us on that little side street in Zephyr Hills. It was maybe about like a four-minute pursuit, and then there was like a small other shootout, and then that was it. It's about five minutes in total. Once we ran from the cop in Zephyr Hills, there was no way to go back to Florida without attracting a large amount of attention. That was what really started to get the ball rolling. It was never personal, and to say that type of shit, I know it sounds asinine to a lot of people, but to me, I mean that. I'm like 21 years old when that shit happened. You know, I, I didn't think like I do now. Now I purposely slow down and try and think things through. I don't always get it right, but I do far better than when I was a kid. You know, you got a shitload of testosterone and you're young and you just, you don't think well. And when a catastrophic situation like that happens, you're supposed to have like parents to lean on or somebody to say, hey man, look it, I know what the probation officer did was wrong. He threatened you. And yeah, bro, you might have to go to jail for 30 days to get before a judge to kind of rectify this situation. But you need to be cool. 45 minutes into what the Doherty's hoped would be a discreet run to Mexico, Ryan's speeding put them in the sights of local law enforcement. Despite the officer giving chase, the Doherty's were not going to go quietly. As soon as I see a muzzle flash from the AK, then it's, you know, it's like, all right, let's catch the bad guy. Taylor Gandy lived on the street where the high-speed shootout and chase took place. It was definitely a time when I was sleeping, which at the age of 17 is totally like anywhere between, you know, 6 a.m. to like 3 p.m. And my bed was up against the windows that I had that was in the corner of the house where the cars drove by in the CVS parking lot, which is right next to my house. And I remember being woken up out of like a cold sleep, just hearing like, pow, 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 and I was like, Okay, not normal sounds you would hear, and then you would hear the sirens after that because there were cops that were definitely chasing these people down. Um, I rolled over and peered through the the blinds that I had up, and I saw the tail end of the vehicle. Um, so like, no way, these guys were actually firing like huge guns. It's not like pistols or anything like that which you know certainly can do some damage to you if you got hit by like a straight bullet but these were like gun guns like the big boys the ak-47s and then a few uh, moments had passed at that point and i noticed that there was like a, a couple officers that were scouring the uh, cvs parking lot and they were looking at the ground so i went outside and that's when I found in my driveway uh, the bullet casing. Um, I remember holding it in my hand, and the thing was, like, almost the size of my palm. And uh, I turned to the officer, and I was like, hey, um, I found this. And he was, like, kind of a little salty that I um, picked up some evidence. Probably shouldn't have done that. The Doherty's were taught how to shoot guns since they were kids. They knew what they were doing, and they weren't firing random shots. In their mind, there was a method to their madness. Here's Ryan. The goal is always to either just knock a hole in the radiator because you might have three to five minutes flat out with one of those Crown Vicks before it overheats. I shot at you from about 40 meters or less away. And understand this, right? Like I might be a criminal, I might do criminal things, I might not always do the right thing, but human life matters to me. You would think that I'm like completely, completely anti-cop. I'm not, I have a son out there. Like without law and order, you have no civilization, you have no society. 
And I want the cops out there. They protect people. 99% of them are good. You know, you see cops vilified today in the news and shit, and it's like, yeah, that's like 1% of them, you know, and they're shitty. The 1% of them deserve whatever it is that they get in court. Here's Detective Widener recounting the day of the chase. Speeds went back up to about 100 miles per hour. My front tire was flat, so I couldn't keep up with them safely. I didn't even get close enough at that point to tell you what the tag number was. I'm only really good at like a couple things in life, and driving is one of them. I'm a bad motherfucker behind the wheel. And we came up to an intersection. The intersection was clogged with cars. And I cut off the intersection by driving through a CVS parking lot. When we cut through there, uh, the cop was following us real close. I'll give it to the cop. He still had some nuts and came up after me. And they caught about 40 rounds right above the driver's side tire. All 40 rounds are within like a one diameter foot circle. You know, so I wasn't aiming for the cab of your vehicle, right? Never in my life was I, I trying to kill an officer. It's just not who I am. Life matters to me, right? Sheriff Chris Nako has been the sheriff of Pascal County since 2011. Here's what Sheriff Nako recalls from that day. I remember getting coffee. I was having coffee with him, and I get a phone call, and they said, we just had a shooting in Zephyr Hills. There, somebody's shooting at law enforcement. And I remember I looked over at the individual. I said, I'm sorry, I got to go. And I remember heading out to the east side of our county, to Zephyr Hills, and I'm trying to get radio information, what's going on, and we're getting bits and pieces. And I think it was one of those things that just, this wasn't just your regular shooting. Dylan lived with his aunt and uncle, Glenn and Suzanne Stanley, his adoptive parents who had a property in Florida. John and Yvonne Clinton lived next door to the Stanleys. John is a prison chaplain and pastor of the Grace Church of Zephyr Hills. His wife, Yvonne, is a former probation supervisor and mother of five. The morning of the shooting, our oldest son was at his school. He called me and said, Mom, there's been a shooting down the road, and they shut the school down. You know, we just never knew it was our neighbors. These people we've known forever. We were watching the news, and they said their names, and we're like, oh, my God. So their family are really big into education, and they're very scholarly people. Um, So it's kind of unusual to have these three go as far out as they did because that's just not what their family's about. While the Doherty's had been in trouble for minor offenses in the past, the reality of what they'd just done began to sink in. It just got really serious. You know, things have definitely taken a turn for the worse. You know, we're young kids. We're, we're, we're dumb. We're inexperienced as far as the consequences of what's coming. Here's Sheriff Nako speaking with producer Beth Greenwald. Obviously, it was a serious incident, but I know that it happens all over this country, unfortunately, on a, on a daily basis. You were the first person to kind of really sound the alarm that this is going to be a spree of sorts. And you felt very compelled to speak about it. So tell me, was it because they shot at your officer, because your gut instinct was that this was going to be the first of many incidences with these folks? So in this instance, with the doctor trio, you know, just recognizing this was outside that pattern saying, OK, this is not going to end peacefully because... These three were on a path to, you know, either escape, you know, have a shootout with law enforcement and, you know, death by cop. Um, you know, those are those type of things that that's why I think for a lot of, for, my, for myself particularly, but even for members of our organization, everybody had that gut instinct that this is going to end up in a shootout. Something bad was going to happen because of these three. Definitely the shock of, oh my gosh, that just happened. Um, you know, how did it happen? Why did it happen? Why did the cop pull us over? 
why was uh, Ryan speeding? Ryan, you're a dumbass. Why would you speed in the middle of town? Did you see the cop? Did you see what happened? Oh, my gosh. Tim Harris, a veteran of the Pascal County Sheriff's Office, was assigned to investigate the shooting. After they disabled Widener's vehicle, we honestly didn't know which direction they had gone because they had a number of avenues that they could have escaped. At this point, when you first learn about this, you know, did you have any of the details yet? Did you know about um, Ryan Doherty or any of that? When did the pieces of that kind of puzzle come together? My sergeant got a phone call from probation and parole out of Dade City, and they were reporting that Brian Daugherty had been placed on the strict probation, that the ankle bracelet had been cut off around the same time that the pursuit initiated. You know, Ryan Daugherty immediately became a person of interest to, uh, as far as we were concerned in the shooting. And they were telling him that he wasn't even going to be able to be around his own child without it being supervised. So that was uh, according to Catalyst, that kicked off the whole thing. He felt that he could be better off if he just absconded and took off. And so that's what they did. Widener said there were two males and a female in the vehicle that he observed when it passed him. But at the time, we didn't know it was Dylan and Lee Grace. We thought it was only Ryan. But then as it developed and we realized Lee Grace and Dylan had went along with Ryan, then we updated the BOLO to include all three of them, which ended up identifying them as the uh, Daugherty gang. Can you just say what a BOLO is? It's a uh, be on the lookout. The car was uh, immediately reported as stolen by uh, Ryan's girlfriend uh, at the time, the lady that was pregnant with his child. Her name was Amber, and she was the actual owner of the Subaru. So she reported the car stolen, but did she know they were leaving then? We did an interview with her, and she wasn't 100% forthcoming. She knew more. She acted as if she had been asleep, and that Ryan had came in the bedroom and, and told her goodbye, and she thought he was just going to work. But at the end of the day, that helped us a little bit because either way, we had the tag number for the vehicle, and we had them in a felony cir circumstance of firing on the law enforcement officer and fleeing to elude. Here again is Ryan. I don't know what I was thinking, man. I was just a kid and I was just scared. I remember that more than anything wasn't like, wasn't like a fear that you're used to or whatever, a fear that you can do something about. It's just a fucking overwhelming angst that like, fuck man, my life is just shot now. Detective Harris began to survey the home. When I went to the house initially, I noticed a pile of construction type equipment, tools and things in the yard. And I could tell it was obviously out of place. So I asked uh, Amber about the tools and she said that those tools had been in the trunk of her car because Ryan used them for his job that he had at the time doing construction work. We put two and two together that they had taken those tools out of the trunk to make room for something, right? And so we asked ourselves, what was that something? You know, we knew from the initial shootout that it involved a pistol and possibly an AK-47, but we had no idea that they had the number of guns that they had with them. And then we executed the federal search warrant and we found the safe and the safe was empty. And so they had taken all of those weapons with them uh, in the vehicle. So then of course we update our bolo that they were definitely heavily armed and dangerous. 
We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back in a moment. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts the best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. I'm assuming these weapons were not registered. Dylan had obtained all of the weapons that he had. Uh, he had purchased them legally. You know, he didn't portray himself as the uh, the hardened criminal that, you know, we picture stockpiling this, uh, this cache of weapons. Uh, he just basically liked guns. This was extremely helpful to police. Once again, here's Sheriff Nako. Getting that information that they did have a lot of guns, those are the type of things that kept adding up we found out that they did have some experience with guns. And so that just even further rang the bell of, we got to get this alarm out there. We got to get these three in. Here's former neighbor Yvonne Clinton. We never had any problems with any of them, ever. 
they like to shoot guns, but we live out in the country, so that's just not abnormal. Given the urgency of the situation, Sheriff Nako appeared on both local and nationwide news. We know who you are. We are coming down to get you. It is very clear that these three are on some type of mission, and we have to do everything possible to arrest them. We want you to turn yourselves in. We want a peaceful resolution. But at the same time, we understand if they want to battle with us, we have the resources and we will win. At a press conference that we had initially, I mentioned that our concern was the citizens and, and people that these individuals would have come in contact with not knowing who they were and the dangerousness of the situation. The media ran with the story and word spread across Florida about the Doherty's and their high-speed police chase that ended in a flurry of bullets. There's a massive FBI manhunt underway for three Pasco County siblings on the run from the law. Again, here's Sheriff Nako. People are calling in sightings, whether they were real sightings or they were just two guys and a girl in a car. You know, we were getting calls and their follow-up people were engaged. So as soon as any story breaks, you start getting a lot more tips. The tips are always helpful. And at the same time, you have to dig through the tips to find out which tips are actually valid and which ones, you know, people just got excited. Former next-door neighbors, the Clantons, weigh in. The local media started to interview us on the local news because we lived right next door and we were the neighbors. And it was like they were wanting to know more about, well, who are these people that are, you know, kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde type. It's a family, but they're on the run from the police and they're shooting. Who, Who are these people? And I think one reason we spoke, because we weren't really in touch with the family at that point. People had moved away or passed away, you know, the grandfather grandparents were gone and all these different people but we i just my thought was i i'm very pro-law enforcement you know and i definitely think that they were doing wrong but i also wanted to put a, a, a human face to it and kind of be like you know things do happen and, and sometimes people just get caught up in stuff and it gets deeper and deeper we knew it was a very tight-knit family um we knew those three were very close and so Having that closeness, that willingness to, hey, we're going out, we're running together, also leads you to believe possibly that they were also going to all go down together. When we would speak to the media, that was, we're just like, turn yourselves in and stop this. It's only going to get worse, you know, because we didn't want to see them get killed. They're willing to do anything, which then leads to the fact of bringing the bell more to the citizens saying, no, be careful. If anybody goes, you know, sees these three individuals, Don't try to step in and do anything, call law enforcement immediately. And if law enforcement is going to engage, make sure you were sending more than one deputy or one officer. Make sure you're sending a a group because you had to send a platoon out because this is probably not going to end well. My front tire was flat, so I had to stop because I couldn't keep up with them safely at that point. The question remained, where were the Doherty's? There was an impression by some that, you know, they were going to follow that corridor. So we thought they would have dipped down into Texas uh, first and try to cross through Texas or at the worst cross through in New Mexico if they're going that way. There was some thought they possibly were heading north into Canada. It's difficult to always be in the mind of somebody who's committing these crimes, but you're constantly trying to evaluate what are they thinking. So, you know, from that aspect, you know, they probably felt they couldn't communicate with loved ones because they knew the phones were not going to be, you know, a wise way to communicate. Um, at the same time, you know, social media was not going to be their, their best way. They probably were feeling they're running out of options. We 
look extensively within the Tampa Bay region. We had all the agencies looking because we didn't know if they were going to hunker down somewhere or what they were going to do. That was a big question. Where are they going next? Here's Detective Harris. They could have went south towards Tampa. They could have circled back through the southern part of Zephyr Hills and went towards Plant City or Lakeland or Orlando. They could have went west on some of the back roads towards Interstate 75. Like I said, we honestly didn't know which direction they went. Here's Ryan. How did you lose them? They were dead in the middle of Florida. There's cameras everywhere. There's cop cars everywhere. You know, you can't drive from your house to a gas station in Florida and back again and not see at least two cops. So how did you lose track of these kids? And then you let them loose in the entire United States. You let this fish get out of this little pond into the ocean, and now we can't find them. And it's all your fault. Thanks a lot, stupid Florida, once again, for having crazy people that are criminals and then unleashing them on us. Shooting at a police officer makes you public enemy number one and a priority for all surrounding law enforcement agencies. Here's Beth speaking again to Detective Tim Harris. And when they popped up, I guess it was a day or two later, Max, were you surprised, I mean, at the path they were going on? I mean, obviously they were trying to get away. They, they had the weapons. And, and what happens when you hear that news? I got a phone call from the Tampa Airport Police Department, and they had found some gun parts that had been discarded in a ladies' room, restroom at the airport. And obviously, they had seen our bolo, they were aware, they knew that uh, our circumstance involved at least one gun. And so, in my point in bringing that up is, is that we had to take into consideration that they had went to Tampa International Airport and possibly got on an airplane. So, I ended up going to Tampa Airport and we reviewed hours and hours of surveillance video and we checked uh, plane registries for uh, outgoing flights around the time frame and things of that nature in an effort to identify had they potentially left on an airplane at the end of the day. None of that panned out. Someone had realized that they had got into the airport with a a handgun and they figured, oh my God, I I can't go back, put this in my car or whatever circumstance, and it ended up being disposed of in the trash can. Uh, Totally, totally unrelated circumstance. I don't think they ever identified how the uh, parts ever got in the trash can. There were supposedly sightings of us everywhere. Supposedly, we robbed a liquor store in New Jersey, and supposedly we shot somebody to death on the interstate in Kentucky. We were seen in Texas, right next to the border. Man, so much of it is logistically impossible. Stick a pin in a map, draw a circle, figure out how fast a car can possibly go, and the the math and miles just don't add up. The Doherty gang is still on the run, and tonight we're getting new information. We've had a few spottings in uh, the southeast United States, but what we're trying to tell everybody about these three is that they could be anywhere. The so-called Doherty gang. The Doherty gang. The Doherty gang. The Doherty gang. And somehow, in all the media melee, no one seemed able to get the name right. As Dylan, Grace, and Ryan will tell you, it's Doherty, not Doherty. That morning, Ryan began to note that Lee Grace was not well. I didn't realize how bad off my sister was. She's like more or less rehabbing in the back seat. You know, I didn't really start telling until later that, that day after we'd already gotten the shootouts for the cops and then Lee Grace just goes back to sleep. You know, she sleeps a lot in the back seat. And then like, I just noticed, I'm like, fuck, man, you know, it didn't click in my head until later. I was like, damn, she's dope sick. You know, she's rehabbing back here in the back seat. Here's Lee Grace. 
my stomach, my head. I couldn't, once I went to sleep, I could not wake up. I mean, I remember Dylan just screaming at me, wake up, wake up. My body is saying, no, you don't have drugs. You're going through a detox. Do not wake up. Keep sleeping. So I was sleeping um, for 10 or 12 or 15 hours at a time. And Dylan gets really annoyed with me. If he's awake, you're awake. So you better be awake. If he's going to be sitting, you know, in the back seat or the front seat and you want to be in the back seat sleeping, oh, no, you're going to be awake. Here, get up and drink this bottle of water. It'll feel – it'll. Dylan thinks he's, he's a rehab counselor. So he is going to beat the disease and drug use out of your system. And I'm just basically complaining like, oh, you know, I'm dope sick. You know, I don't feel good. I need my pills. And they're basically saying, no, you don't. You know, so I don't have any pills with me. It's just that constant detox and your stomach hurts and your head hurts and you're, you're really struggling. Let's stop here for another quick break. We'll be back in a moment. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from The Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. Years earlier, Lee Grace had developed a dependency to drugs to ease the pain of losing her dad, Doc, and her sister, Erin. The drug that I've always been most attracted to are benzodiazepines. Xanax, Klonopin, Valium, Ativan. Those are the drugs that I always have wanted ever since I was probably about 19. I would be able to obtain prescriptions. So I knew the people that had prescriptions. So I would go to them and offer them money. They would give me their prescriptions for cash. And it was actually really very easy for me to obtain drugs. I mean, I was never afraid to ask people. I mean, the worst thing they could tell me was no. I would tell them, listen, I have $100. Open your purse. Give me that prescription. And they would need the money for gas or food or, you know, sometimes, you know, it was a working class family. You know, maybe they needed to pay their electricity bill. Maybe they needed to pay a phone bill. That $100, you know, they were very accepting of it because they actually want... This call is from a federal prison. And maybe they didn't even take the prescription. Maybe they just got it from their doctor and their whole their whole scheme was to sell the prescription. So I was actually friends with a lot of people, um, a lot of people that I bought drugs from. They were like some of my best friends. Here again is Ryan. I don't know if Lee Grace has ever really been to an actual treatment place. If she had been, it, it would have been like a 72-hour hold to make sure that you're mentally not going to flip out, right? Lee Grace is just going to do her. Like, you can't really dissuade her once she decides she wants to do something. And then, like, if she ever wanted to be sober, you know, there's options out there to go get sober. It's like, it's what she needed. You take the drug addict out of my sister, like, she would have never gotten that car. Well, we had the belief that they were going to have to get cash somewhere. Um, we knew that, you know, these three had to be smart enough not to use credit cards, um, even stolen credit cards to some extent, because we have the ability to very quickly ascertain information to kind of track some of that. However, cash, you know, you can anonymously go into somewhere, use cash. So we knew they had to obtain cash somewhere. Unfortunately for the Doherty's, their first plan to get cash came to a screeching halt. Dylan Friend was going to purchase the guns from us and give us cash. We got in the direction of his house. We were already being pulled over by the cops. So being pulled over in Zephyr Hills by Kevin Widener, that prevented us from meeting his friend because we're not going to be chased by the cops to someone's house. Here's Dylan explaining his state of mind and decision making. I think we knew we needed money before we left uh, Florida. At that point, I don't... uh, I wouldn't say I was thinking clear. In that moment of desperation, the Doherty's did the unthinkable. As of that point, you go self-surrender. What are you going to say? Hey, sorry, we shot it out with you in the street. You're still going to get the same amount of time you're going to get whether or not you keep going from there. So it's like, you've already started this party. You might as well have fun. And and that's, that's what we did. I literally just got my heart, back to my resting heart, you know, 58 beats a minute. And I was like, all right, let's rob a bank now. The timeline was very last minute because at no point did we ever look at each other and say, let's get in the car, let's load up the guns, let's rob a bank and let's have a shootout with the cops. At no point was that ever on the table. 
it takes a little bit to work your nerve up to do it. So yeah, we, we hit that bank and then we rolled out of Georgia. And we weren't already committed after the banana peel in Florida, so to speak. We were really committed after that. And finally, in a never-before-heard interview, the Doherty's mother weighs in on what happened. Not once in 10 years has anyone asked me what happened, my opinion. So I have had 10 years to think about what I want to say about my children. And I want to say three things. More on that next time. The Doherty Gang is executive produced by Stephanie Lidecker and me, Courtney Armstrong, along with Beth Greenwald, Sean McEwen, and Joseph Morgan. Editing and sound design is by Jeff Twa, mixing by Peter Ney. Additional producing by Chris Graves and Jeff Shane. The Doherty Gang is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 